everyone, what's up, Actastic listeners? Uh, welcome to the first episode of Accelerate with Cropin, your ultimate LinkedIn live series for all things AgTech. 2023 is here, and it's time to bring our A-game to the field. We all know that the agriculture industry is non-stop. It never sleeps, and it's always growing. But this year, we are taking it to a whole new level. The rate of transformation in the industry is picking up speed like a combined harvester on steroids, and at Cropin, we are ready to help make it happen. We are all about enabling the agriculture industry with technology and innovation to accelerate this transformation and progress, and we want you to be a part of it. That's why we are creating a community of practitioners, users, experts, leaders, and key opinion farmers from the industry who can come together to help make this transformation a bit easier by sharing, contributing, and learning from each other. So with, without further ado, let's jump into the topic of this episode, the five key trends in 2023 that will impact this sector. Let me set some context on why are we addressing these trends. According to the 2021 Global Agriculture Productivity Report, uh, there is a need to accelerate productivity growth at all levels to meet the needs of consumers and address current and future threats to human and environmental well-being. This report highlights that productivity growth is the primary source of agriculture output growth globally. But recent studies show that this growth is not happening as fast as previously thought, with the total factor productivity DFE, which is the index that is used to measuring agriculture output and growth, is currently at 1.36% annually uh, between the time period of 2010 to 2019, which falls way below the target of 1.73%. The report also highlights that Middle-income countries like India, China, Brazil, and the countries of the former USSR have the most robust TFP growth rates, while low-income countries have negative TFP growth rate of minus 0.31% annually. Now, climate change has also slowed down global agriculture productivity growth by 21% since 1961, and by as much as 34% in drier regions of Africa and Latin America. The key trends that we are covering focus on these various factors and elements that will impact our ability to accelerate productivity growth and to address the challenges faced by the growers of all scales in adapting to climate change and protecting their livelihoods. And why we're discussing technology is going to be seen and presented as a core enabler because we truly believe that it can help both build transparency and visibility as well as help us better manage all the unpredictabilities that this sector is going to face while is dealing with all these headwinds. And joining with uh, me to share their thoughts today are Marcella McClatchy and Krishna Kumar. Uh, please welcome both of them. Marcella is Senior Program Officer of Inclusive Markets in Agriculture Development at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. At the foundation, Marcella develops investments and partnerships with companies to scale innovations that solve critical constraints for smallholder farmers. She also leads efforts to accelerate private sector solutions for climate adaptation and resilience. Marcella serves as board observer and advisor to several startups, uh, including Kropin, driving impactful solutions for agriculture in India and sub-Saharan Africa. Welcome, Marcella. Great to be here. Krisha uh, is a founder and CEO at Cropin, and he has been pioneering the development and adoption of digital technologies to transform the agriculture ecosystem since 2010. He is passionate about solving planet-scale challenges such as food insecurity, climate change, and the digital divide in the agri-food ecosystem with the help of technology. Prior to starting Cropin, Krishna worked with General Electric. Welcome, Krishna. Marcella Krishna, say hello to our audience who's listening in today. I guess is it. Hi everyone. Awesome. So let's get started. And 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 uh, Krishna, I'm going to uh, refer to the the recent blog that we had published around the trends. And our discussions primarily focus on the five key trends that you called out in your blog article uh, that was published later the, earlier this year. Uh, Krishna, you mentioned that you see increased investments in sustainability projects and agri-financing is a key trend on the rise. Uh, can you dwell a little deeper and share with our listeners what specific changes or parameters in the industry led you to believe that we will see a surge in these type of projects in the near future? Yes, is it? You know, uh, 
in last couple of years, we have seen the surge of discussion of sustainability. And that is and coming from how do we feed the growing population? We are going to be 10 billion people uh, by 2050. And, and, and when we are meeting our clients, government, dev sector, and all the right stakeholders, you know, the common questions we are trying to answer that how do we grow more with less and that to sustainably uh, to feed the world. And in this whole ecosystem, you will see, you know, the contribution of smallholder farmers. Um, there are 500 million smallholder farmers across the globe, and that deploys close to two billion uh, people uh, in the farming. How do you how do you partner with them? How do you you know help them change their practices or influence the you know, total productivity which you are talking about in your introduction? Uh, you know, at the scale. So those are some of the questions, and 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 the focus key focus is on the soil. How do you keep the biodiversity uh, around the farms intact? Optimal use of inputs like water, fertilizer, crop protection in the farms. Uh, you know, regenerative practices uh, are getting discussed, and also I see a lot of programs which is getting uh, developed and uh, you know implemented. Climate smart is one of the top top of the agenda because that has a uh, you know lot of pressure on the productivity on the crop side because of the you know uncertainties and the kind of pests and disease and crop losses it's uh, leads to. Uh, to give you antidotes, you know, we have heard COP27, uh, the kind of focus we are trying to bring to the table. Uh, uh, you know, ADPC was trying to, uh, you know, manage planet smart agriculture and trying to see how they can accelerate to the adoption of smallholders. World Bank, you know, BMGF recent announcement, the focus towards, you know, uh, uh, smallholder farmers in Africa and winter resilience from the you know, planet smart carbon and you know, sustainability aspects of the smallholder. Uh, I was reading about USDA, USAID programs, which has been rolled out across the US in all the states where they're trying to find solution to the climate smart practices. How they, how do they partner with the farmers to ensure the food security of the nation and, and they adopt this technology. So not only the smallholder, but I can see the focus from the you know, developed countries as well. How do they build the resilience in the whole ecosystem? Uh, and and then you go on the any of the blogs or the websites of the large enterprises, small enterprises. They are all placing about uh, you know sustainable goals and very very clearly articulated goals there, right? And these are these are some of the some of the you know pointers which which makes you believe that this is happening on the ground. Uh, we are part of the many programs in different parts of the world supporting smallholder farmers on the climate smart. You know, providing advisory uh, to the smallholders, and these are these things are getting accelerated. Yeah. And also, when we are discussing the client, this is very, very important, uh, important uh, you know pillars for the organization to adopt. It, not only from from the total productivity point of view, but also to build a sustainable business for long term for themselves as well. Uh, if you look at the recent announcement in Europe, uh, the deforestation law, uh, you know, which was passed. Uh, in the parliament, that is also a big commitment that how, do, how you know, we, they're not going to allow any food produced which has a footprint of the deforestation. And as you know, 70% of uh, the deforestation happened because of the agriculture, uh, agriculture across the globe. 30% water is getting wastage because of the crop losses which are happening in different, different stages of, uh, you know, the crop production and the cycles. Uh, so I, I think it's a uh, very very important, and I, we have seen the impact in you know the, the water tables going down in California, South Africa, many parts of uh, India, Africa, and Latin. I, I don't think any part of the world is untouched uh, well, with this problem. And I think it's the right time, right focus. And and coming back to the, your second pointer, you know, on the balancing side or the risk product side, I think it's very very important to. You know, to combine the sustainability and the financing together, because we are talking about the smallholder. At one side, we want them to change their practices, adopt new seed varieties. You know, use uh, optimize various things at their farm to achieve the sustainability goal. But then, you know, we don't have a robust process to finance them. And I was reading some of the reports uh, from the European, you know, uh, Union Investment Bank, and and. You know, they, even the small, large holder farmers are not untouched. You know, most 27% of their applications are rejected just because, 
you know, the, they find it very risky. Then uh, new uh, new uh, farmers coming into the business, I think they feel that they don't know the crop and probably if they make the investment in those crops and businesses, it will fail, right? Uh, there's less data, uh, and less data on the accounting, crop side risk, and their understanding of the crop itself, right? And that's how the friction to accelerate the pace of financing. And I think with the newer technology, newer startup, digitization, crop intelligence at the scale, I think bringing a lot of data, which is opening up and lighting up the intelligence. And uh, I and the kind of interaction we have having with the uh, insurance guys or uh, banks, public sector or private sector or the governments, and the kind of lead they've taken in terms of, you know, take an example of PNLBY, where they want to ensure every farmer in the country and, uh, uh, and ensure their crop using the you know, data, uh, you know, uh, which we have, uh, and they're trying to underwrite those risks and make the payment faster basis, all those outcomes. So I think we have seen the accelerated use of data and technology in the banking and financial sector as well, and the insurance sector. And this is going to accelerate over, you know, uh, over, uh, over next uh, few years. Uh, thank you, Krishna. As in uh, those facts and some of the uh, commitments that you called out uh, by various organizations, bodies, including governing bodies, etc., clearly call out the commitment to uh, double down on, on on all the commitments that have been made. And I think what is most important is when you look at sustainability projects and investing in in, in building and, and supporting these, you need to have a long-term uh, framework mindset. Uh, and that is critical because you're trying to ensure that this stays uh, and yeah, in, in that context, financing these projects and, and ensuring that you're able to build a lot more visibility and transparency for these kind of projects is also critical for uh, finance to really flow in to be able to support these projects. Vidal Marcella, uh, with someone uh, like yourself with so much wealth of experience of interacting with various stakeholders in the agriculture industry, including technology providers like us, governments and large agribusinesses, what is your perspective on uh, on the industry's readiness to invest and drive long-term impact in sustainability projects? And how do you see this impacting uh, global agriculture productivity in the long term? Thanks, Suji. Yeah, you know, as Krishna mentioned, I think investments and investor interest uh, in sustainability in agriculture is increasing dramatically. When it comes to sustainability and climate, I think stakeholders are demanding that private investors, governments, and companies take action and create, you know, commit to these these targets and take pledges around their commitment to to sustainability. And I think in many areas, investors are hearing the call. I really don't think readiness of investors is the main problem. I think even despite the some of the macroeconomic conditions that we're seeing, many actors have capital and they want to deploy it. So I think the challenge is less about investor readiness um, and a little bit more about aligning expectations, uh, particularly around risk and return. So, you know, on the public side, I think measuring the social benefits of sustainability and climate adaptation is is pretty hard. Um, you know, we have a good metric for measuring climate mitigation around reduction in greenhouse gas and gas emissions. We don't have that same kind of universally accepted quantifiable metric when we start to talk about sustainability and adaptation. And, you know, likely when we do have those metrics, they're going to need to be highly localized because sustainability and adaptation looks different in different places. So I think we have more work to do as a community and as an industry to build the business case and the social case for sustainability and to make the sustainable option the most attractive option from both a social and an economic perspective. Um, it's always um, harder to do something that avoids harm in the future than it is to solve a problem in the most efficient way right now. So that's a tougher sell. So we need to really make that case and make it a, a no-brainer. You know, I think on the private side, and this goes to your framing, I think, around total factor productivity, if we look at total factor productivity, we're looking at land, labor, capital, and material resources. So I think as some of the other components of total factor productivity, like land and labor, become more expensive and scarce, which is what we're seeing in many parts of the world, I do think that then it, it uh, investors will seek to deploy capital to drive productivity and efficiency gains. Um, and some of the things that are capital intensive start to make more sense. So I also think that's when a lot of these digital and technology-based solutions start to look more and more attractive. But I think it's up to the solution providers 
to make these technologies the most attractive options and to make that business case really clearly. And and those are some interesting points that you've made, Marcella, while they're also like almost like contrarian, uh, localized but standardized. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to support something that's long-term, but you know everything is focused on today. Simple example is you would want to incentivize farmers to really solve for the long-term, but you know what they are driving uh, their actions for sustainable livelihoods for today. They just want to ensure that they get through another season, another cycle, and so on and so forth. So uh, these dichotomous uh, challenges or demands is, is definitely uh, really complex to manage. And like you called out, as in the whole ecosystem needs to come together to collaborate. And I think that's where sharing of information and knowledge a lot more openly is going to be super critical so that we all can learn and figure out better ways of how we can contribute and do our part but I'm going to kind of double click uh, on that and, and considering your association with the Gates Foundation and, and your knowledge of the philosophy and hands-on experience of investing in building for long-term impact and also dealing with challenges like these as in it's it's not something new for, for the foundation. How do you see these changes uh, and their potential impact aligning with that philosophy and your own experience as in how are you trying to navigate some of these dichotomous challenges that, that we have to address for the sector. Yeah, you know, so at the Gates Foundation, we're particularly concerned with uh, the distribution of some of the impacts and trends that you laid out at the beginning. Um, so, you know, again, talking about total factor productivity and, and the decline in total factor productivity in, in some of the lower income countries. So some of the gains that we've seen, to the extent that we've seen gains in total factor productivity have really been driven by unsustainable land use you know, expanding into um, uh, forests or other other land and, and degrading the land in kind of an unsustainable way. Uh, and we find that to be really problematic. So when we look at the potential for technology, we're really excited for, the, for technology to play a role in promoting productivity in a sustainable way, particularly in poor and middle income countries. And I think we're really concerned with how do we make sure that those technologies and the potential of those technologies has an outsized impact on the poor, that they're, uh, to the extent possible, designed to be used and accessed by poor populations, and um, what we can do to unlock barriers that small farmers face in accessing the benefits from these technologies. So um, while we certainly, I think, you know, uh, technologies have a role to play globally, and in, including in developed world agricultural systems in driving uh, productivity improvements, I think, you know, we'll continue to stay focused on uh, how these trends are playing out in lower and middle income countries uh, and what we can do to ensure kind of equitable uh, distribution of some of the opportunities and some of the bright spots on the uh, on the horizon. Yeah, so the equitable distribution and access to the benefits that um technology and a lot of other resources that can be brought to play is is super critical. And I think that's a challenge that a lot of the ecosystem stakeholders have on their hands to address uh, actively. Uh, now, Marcella, you touched upon the adoption of digital technology in the industry, which leads me to the second trend we are discussing today, the rapid acceleration of digitization uh, in agriculture. Can you expand on this trend and explain how it will enable maximum visibility and transparency across the food system value chain, uh, because I truly believe that is going to be a key enabler of not just uh, solving for some of the challenges that the agriculture industry faces, but also being able to bring in uh, many stakeholders, including the financing stakeholders or investors who, who will have a lot more trust in what they're investing and, and bringing the capital to play. Sure. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot I could say about trends in digital in agriculture. I think there is a lot that has been said on this topic. Um, certainly, we're seeing digitization across the ag value chain. It is a sector that historically has been much less digitized than many others, and we see a lot of opportunity. And obviously, in places like India, there is massive human capital in terms of entrepreneurs that are developing innovative solutions that have the potential to really impact every part of the value chain from how farmers receive inputs and information, how they manage their crop, how they harvest and sell, even post-harvest, how commodities are traced and pro processed and ultimately reach consumers. I think what's particularly exciting to me about some of these solutions that I've seen of late is the potential they have to impact smallholder populations all over the world. 
And I'm really excited about more cell-self uh, collaboration and diffusion of ideas from one smallholder context to another. I often have entrepreneurs in Africa ask me about different companies in India. And I think there's a, really an opportunity for more learning and more ideas exchange and more application of promising solutions uh, in, in different uh, country contexts. I think in terms of expanding the use of these solutions, I do think things like connectivity and smartphone access and digital literacy, some of these key enablers of digital adoption are improving rapidly. Uh, though there's definitely more work to be done uh, to get them to to get these kind of enablers to a point where um, folks have have what they need to adopt technologies. But I wanted to call out two barriers that I think deserve more significant attention. I think the first is uh, enabling data infrastructure and policies that encourage the development and adoption of these technologies. This includes things like government policies, but I think um, it also includes things like underlying national ag data sets that entrepreneurs and others can use to develop and calibrate their models or their technology-based solutions. Things like farmer registries or digital uh, land records, digital agronomic data, weather data infrastructure, these are really core data sets that if made available could uh, serve a wide range of applications and could really crowd in a lot of innovators to build solutions on top of these data sets. So I think that's one thing that particularly in ag, we're just, um, it's, a, it's a sector that's very, uh, has a dearth of a lot of key enabling data and I think is needed if we are to kind of continue to develop some of these solutions that we want to want to see in this space. I think the other thing I want to highlight, especially around digital and a lot of the excitement around digital, is really ensuring that there's a sound business model and clear ROI for producers or for whomever is using the digital technology. I think it's important to remember that agriculture is and always will be a, a highly physical sector, right? It's never going to be 100% digitized like finance or something that completely can exist uh, online. So, you know, I encourage companies that are developing digital technologies to really take time to understand how things are being done as the status quo. And what's the math or what are the economics of that status quo, right? For the for, for whomever they're trying to influence or whoever, the, whoever they're trying to serve, whether that's the producer or an agribusiness or, you know, someone else in the value chain, what's happening at present. And then as they're developing their value proposition to have a really clear idea of what changes for the farmer or for their stakeholder by using their technology, how uh, are costs being reduced by using the product, um, or how are, does the, do the productivity and income gains increase such that it weighs the cost of, outweighs the cost of adoption? I think this sounds ob obvious, right? But I think until that value proposition is really crystal clear, I think we'll struggle to see the widespread adoption that we're all hoping for. I think, you know, agriculture, as we all know, is an extremely risky sector and farmers bear the most risk of anyone in the value chain. Um, they are hesitant to take on new risks and for good reason, right? It's a very risky, a risky activity. So I don't even want to use the term risk aversion because I think it's normal, rational behavior given the risks that farmers face in a given season. But I think it's our jobs to build products and solutions are, that are so good that adoption is a no-brainer and that the benefits clearly outweigh the costs and the risks of adoption. They do, and Marcella, again, some very interesting points, right? As in, uh, I've always personally believe that one key aspect, I think we haven't spent enough time affording investment around uh, uh, enabling this whole agriculture ecosystem has been the digital empowerment and enablement of the, the growers, grower community themselves. I think there's a lot more work to be done there. We, the second aspect around sound business model, being able to understand it, as in, does this even make business sense? Are we able to optimize the pieces of the entire value chain that we truly want to uh, bring a difference or change to is also critical. But the second half of the, the point that I was calling out, it's very novel when you look at any uh, new transformational trend. Uh, for example, I've personally seen this with the whole public cloud industry in the tech space when it when it kick-started off way back in 2007, 2008, um, it was really tough for customers who were trying to adopt cloud or were even evaluating or considering cloud to understand, hey, how do I build a sound business model of how to go about investing in it? Which parts of my business do I adopt these technologies for and so on and so forth? So I think it's going to be a normal progression as far as 
that aspect is concerned for the industry. But I let Krishna let, let let me come to you, right? As and I would love to get some more perspective from you, especially on what's driving the current push for digitization in agriculture and what organizations should consider when implementing digital solutions in the industry, especially with respect to small world of farmers and their role in the global food supply. Because it's easier said than done, and you've been at the uh, at the core of a lot of this change and transformation, working with several customers uh, globally. So, would love to hear your perspective. Sure, I think Masana has covered uh, a lot of ground on this, but I'll try to add on top of it. Uh, look, we, you know, I started this journey back in 2010, and it was, and we have seen the journey from zero to one, right? So when Digitization was a kind of a, uh, dream, and uh, infrastructure was not ready. 2G smartphones had not penetrated the village; they were not commonly found. And we wanted to bring data, uh, data in agriculture, and make this ecosystem more data-driven to improve the particle. And that was the you know one-line statement we started cropping. And and over the period when we tried, uh, when we started interacting with the industry, uh, stakeholders, growers. One of the common questions we used to get, you know, how much GB of uh, data I should budget for this whole intervention of digitization on the smartphone. They used to buy a smartphone to give it to the farm managers because, you know, they were using basic phone or, in fact, or no phone uh, in the fields, right? And then came, and, and then we saw early doctors who wants to experiment. They need this investment. And they wanted to see the value of, you know, uh, uh, you know aggregating all this uh, farms and providing right advice to the farmer at the right time and see the impact of it. And it was a journey over the period of time. Right? Now, fast forward, uh, this whole effort uh, improved because back in 2014, 15, 16, a lot of discussion happened on, uh, it became a main theme discussion and of digitalization or digital transformation of agriculture, right? And, and the threads were picked up, forums were built, you know, started discussing in the public forums and, you know, all the big enterprises, small enterprises started participating in that. That was another phase where the, we saw uptick on the adoption of digital within the businesses and taking it to small holders or large holders. And then we saw the era of COVID and then the, you know, geopolitics tension, uh, which has created a disruption in the supply chain. Uh, and uh, we have seen the fertilizer prices going on. There was a there's a prices of crops or the crop produce going up because the, you know, the major producers are not able to supply those produce to the world. Uh, majorly hit our Africa and a different part of the world uh, from the from that crisis. Now, that has ex accelerated the pace of, you know, di not only discussion, but adoption of digital because they want to make this uh, investment for two front. One, to, you know, how do you react to the situation and, you are not, uh, you know, uh, to get more intelligence on the farm remotely uh, during the COVID period. But then discussion also came around, how do you deal with the you know, supply chain disruption? How do you build the national food security uh, or self-resilient supply chain within the, uh, the country, right? So the government and the divergencies or, you know, and the enterprises, they're all, you know, discussing this. What happens if something gets disrupted uh, in the supply chain? And uh, that calls for, you know, use of technology. You rightly mentioned industry cloud is one of the, uh, not one of the, I, I think it's a need of an art uh, because agriculture is so vast, so complex and so many challenges to solve. It can't be the point solution. It has to be, it has to be a uh, industry cloud for intelligent agriculture where it's, it's open and wide and, uh, and can, and you know, you can build any solution whether you want to solve for Carbon sustainability, smallholder, largeholder, crop intelligence at the scale, right? And uh, and uh, how do you structure those data? How do you make sure those you know year on year, uh, the crop knowledge is not getting lost because you are on a pen and paper, and then you are you need those intelligence to build the new or faster data to wait and take those to market. And I think uh, you need to speed up on the process. Can I answer the designation? And I think to summarize this. I think every everything starts from the digitization, right? So once you digitize those farms, smallholder, largeholders, uh, and the and the, you start generating data, then the second step comes in, right? So you you uh, 
do analytics, data, correlations, to see how do you provide uh, this season over the next season by just putting simple maths, all right? What variety is performing? What kind of a disease more prone to this variety versus that variety in that region, right? So a lot of questions can be answered. And then comes the knowledge graph. How do you build the knowledge graph of different crops, different problem statement, how those, you know, dot connects and, uh, and you scale those knowledge graphs, not only one crop, but you know, there are 10,000 different crops we grow uh, globally, you know, that's becomes the premise of everything. And then you are talking about the crop intelligence at the scale. So once you start putting your machine learning and AI to learn from the data, uh, you know, and it will start answering all the questions and uh, you, you are seeing the surge of, uh, I know, uh, GPT chat AI launched by, you know, uh, OpenAI or Sparrow, which, you know, the Googles are trying to blink. And then you ask questions and you get the answers, right? And that's the power of the knowledge graph and intelligence which you build. And then once you have those intelligence, you are going to solve the problem of sustainability, carbon, climate smart, because, and then you have to use the framework to disseminate that information to the right stakeholder, to, you know, growers or to people who are going to take decisions. And that brings the complete transparency. Uh, uh, data knowledge, uh, right? The crop knowledge, a uh, uh, vast knowledge, which we have not been able to collect over, you know, last hundred years or you know, last several thousand <laughs> thousand years. And I think that that will accelerate the pace of innovation. So digitization is the starting point, and uh, and uh, we are seeing even the uh, you know startups or. Small company, mid-sized companies, they are all, whoever doing agriculture, they want to see how they can leverage uh, digital tools to accelerate their pace of innovation in their field, right? So they, at least they have started asking, we are seeing, uh, you know, the surge of queries and uh, which was not there back in, you know, the journey which we have taken from since 2010. So I think the pace has been accelerated and I think at the point, uh, and you will see you know, faster adoption coming down the line uh, because of all the scenarios we just spoke. Uh, and people will, uh, it will be on top of the agenda for all the stakeholders who are operating the agriculture sector. Yeah, the pace of acting of, of adoption will definitely increase, but there are obviously challenges like what Marcella called out, as in, I think the ecosystem still has to figure out uh, the right business models, how they go about investing in it. Uh, but Krisha, you gave a, 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 a perfect reference of a, of a framework, and I think uh, it has to be addressed along with this combination of challenge, right? As in, I've got localized issues and challenges to address, but at the same time, I've got global operations to manage because it's a it's a broad interconnected ecosystem, uh, very similar to the financial ecosystem. It's not disconnected. Yeah. How much we want to consider that it is disconnected? It isn't. Yeah. Uh, but the approach to start with digitization, uh, ensure that you're able to uh, build uh, a data infrastructure, and this is to the point that Marcella uh, brought about, right? How can we build a robust data infrastructure ideally at the uh, at the country level because i think that is important and then eventually at the global level because around which we can build policies a, a great example is some of the value that's been unlocked in in countries like india for example with uh, the whole aadhaar framework and the upi ecosystem on how the fintech ecosystem has been able enabled with that with by building a robust uh, a kyc and a data infrastructure to enable the financial uh, ecosystem in the country so I think the ag ecosystem also requires something very, very similar. Um, there is a template, and I think a template that's been tried and tested uh, and I treated over by multiple agribusinesses and governments, et cetera, over the years, uh, along with uh, along with technology partners like Cropin and several others who are operating in the ecosystem. And, and that is going to be key to really building customized enablement solutions for growers of different scale. And, and this is the perfect segue to the third trend that we are covering. And that is to focus on smallholder farmer enablement and empowerment. We are clearly seeing a shift in the agribusiness industry towards a grower-centric approach, where companies are developing and providing customized services and products based on the understanding of the growers they engage with. This pivot towards smallholder farmers has the potential to greatly benefit the ecosystem of emerging markets especially. In order to achieve sustainable development, um, we must address this issue at the grassroots level though. Uh, smallholder farmers need support and enablement to build sustainable livelihoods while also participating as equal stakeholders in building the future of the global food system. 
While there are many startups working with farmers to educate and empower them today uh, to deploy and adopt the latest technology and access to information, this is an area that needs increased investment and commitment from all players, including governments, development agencies, and agribusinesses. Now, my question to you, Marcela, is how do you see this trend playing out globally? Are we uh, seeing only startups directly working with farmers? Um, like the point that you made, how entrepreneurs in Africa want to learn from what entrepreneurs in India are, 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 are trying and how are they solving for things? Or are larger enterprises also collaborating and working towards building relationships and empowering farmers to adopt new technologies and build sustainable livelihoods? And, and what are some of the key outcomes organizations should really focus on when they embark on this journey to measure success and impact? Yeah, you know, I think the answer to this question, I, I mean, to start, is very value chain and region dependent. So I think some commodities like coffee or cocoa, for instance, they, those are predominantly grown by smallholder farmers, particularly in Africa, and they will likely continue to be for the foreseeable future. I, I will say that I think other commodity growers and in, in some of the other value chains would prefer to source from larger and more professionalized growers if that was an option that was available to them. Um, you know, we see some companies working with smallholder farmers because that's the farming population in the country where they're operating. So uh, I think if if companies do have that choice, you know, then it, it comes down to what's again, what's the business case for serving from smallholder far farmers? And we found that the key to increasing engagement with small farmer smallholder farming populations um, is really to ensure that sourcing from smallholders or serving smallholders as customers is really the least costly and risky option. And that's where technology and innovation comes in and has a huge role to play. You know, I believe that if businesses have the tools enabling to educate their farmers, to mops have greater predictability over the quality and the quantity and the timing of their harvests, all of this makes working with smallholders considerably easier. Um, you know, we're also looking at things like bundled services. How do you, you know, if you're able to package a suite of services like information and inputs and finance is really critical here, um, along with offtake, does that, uh, you know, make the smallholder farmer proposition more attractive? Uh, I do think that the kind of increased trend that we talked about at the beginning around sustainability and responsible sourcing and some of the pressure that we're, we're seeing being put on agribusinesses to ensure responsible practices has led to more willingness to work with small-scale producers. Again, particularly if you can use technology to trace the produce and ensure that farmers are using best practices. So um, uh, yeah, I think, I think there are some positive trends on the horizon that make working with small farmers easier, but I don't think it's necessarily a given that uh, agribusinesses will always choose to work with small farmers if there's a other options on the table. Now, when looking at success and measuring impact, there's a lot of different ways to measure impact. I think it all really comes down to how does one's engagement strengthen a farming family's livelihoods. So, you know, you can look at things like value capture, um, you know, how much is their commodity worth and how, how much of that value are farmers capturing or the things that you can do um, to increase uh, farmer value capture. Uh, you can look at um, farmer incomes, look at um, uh, land-based measures like soil health or um, or productivity. And I think there's a range of measures that we use to look at impacts. But I think if you kind of frame it around um, what is the kind of change in livelihood that a farmer is experiencing, there, there are many different metrics that you could look at. Yeah, I agree. As in there are several metrics, I think that's another aspect depending upon uh, what farmer segment are you uh, are you focusing on or working with? Also, bringing in the regional nuances, considering uh, the socioeconomic uh, construct of that particular region. Um, also, the value chains that that are probably playing out. I think these metrics would uh, would vary and change. But I, I love the point that you made around um, if if really uh, sourcing companies or producers are a choice. Uh, I think they would want to choose something that's a lot more predictable, which will, which may not be necessarily always smallholder farmers, but uh, it is obviously the larger population uh, in the agricultural ecosystem, and it is important as an ecosystem that we 
focus on enabling and empowering them to really see if we can uh, uplift them along with uh, with enabling the overall ecosystem. Krishna, over to you as someone who has observed this agriculture sector evolve over the the past 12, 13 years, what are some of the key learnings and insights that you would like to share with organizations using technology to deliver greater impact for smallholder farmers? Can you also share any specific experiences or examples that you have seen and how they've impacted communities they were aimed at? So, look, in a smallholder, farmers are going to be very relevant for the agriculture, right? Because we can't change that. Uh, many, uh, if you look at a country like India, Southeast Asia, you'll find smallholder growers. And if you have to build the national food security, you have to build the resilience in, in a, uh, among those farmers. Uh, and picking up on the crop, you know, farmer-centric approach, right? So I think it's a very, very important. Uh, every farmer field is different. Their risks are different. They adopt different practices. Their sowing dates, you know, the crop cycle are different because not every farmer is going to plant on at the same date right so and and when you are talking about deploying technology you have you have to become grower centric right uh, uh, to address the challenges on the climate smart or you know uh, uh, or you know water stress or nitrogen uptake or what pest and disease can hit that farm and you have to monitor those risks and you now all the parameters which I'm talking are the all well, let's say the key uh, you know what yield they can expect in the time of the harvest is is again the very very farm centric. Uh, it's uh, it depends on what stage. When you are looking at the farm, what stage of the crop it is, and what does it like water stress mean for that farm, right? Whether it's good or bad, what is the ideal uh, water uptake of the farm, and how much it is receiving, and then you making the prediction. What stage you are predicting the uh, that pest and disease when it is susceptible to that particular prone to those disease, right? Uh, or uh, you know. Uh, or uh, for that matter, the crop health and the nitrogen uptake. So every farm becomes very, very uh, unique. Uh, and the challenges become bit more complex when you have to deal with the smallholder farmers because every farm is, you know, the next farm is serving another farm is, you know, something else. Uh, and you have to be very precise. And that, uh, But over the period, you know, the technology has evolved. You can look into, you know, one a sub one meter or three meter or 10 meter. Uh, within that farm, and you can put intelligence on all those, uh, all those uh, 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 grades. Now, from the technology point of view, what we have learned over the last seven years, uh, working, I mean, working through our crop AI lab, that it's not about data and AI itself. It's a lot about agri science and the earth observation. So you have to build the expertise in all the three, three pieces, and it has it has to work in harmony to answer the questions. You are looking at look when you are looking at those farms, right? And how do you train your model? How do you build the transfer capability? Or using Dan, or you know, how can you make a you know less uh, hungry data model? Can you take the model which is working in India to Africa or to Latin? Do you need to change the architecture, or do you just need to change the input? Because every time you are going to change the architecture, you know, uh, you are going to spend a lot of cycles, and you it's not scalable model, right? Uh, you need tons of you know, trillions of data sets, which, you know, Marcella was talking about how do you build a country-level data sets so that entrepreneurs can play around. And what is the sustainable model of building it? In my learning, if you are paying to collect the data, you get a, you get a garbage data, right? You have to build the context in that collection and you have to build the context in when you are collecting that information from that farm so that you can build a long-term sustainable data sets which has seen the different representation of the season, right? And then you build those models. Uh, and when you scale these models, right? So when you are doing a sub POC, it works on everything works, right? Because that's a control environment, small region. You have a control of the data quality, and you have non-delta with the scale of scale from the you know satellite, uh, you know parameters point of view or weather point of view. But when you scale and you are trying to answer the country level or state level, you start finding you know you know problems. You start finding problems in the satellite data. You find so much cloud and haze. And then you start, you have to go and build your own deep learning model to deal with that. How do you construct those farms below those clouds or, you know, uh, discrepancy in the you know, weather data. Somewhere you get a better temperature or precipitation and some part of the world you don't get it. But you will hit that problem when you are talking global, when you 
want to put intelligence in every farm, you have to build that scale and you have to deal with that scale data and then you have to really, the crux is how, how do you structure that data and how do you treat that data before even you talk about, you know, putting the models on top of it or, you know, machine learning or AI or 3D CNN or, you know, whatever your approach is. But your 80% time is going to be consumed there. So I, I think it's not a one-day job or six-month job. I think you have to be very, very patient. You have to, you know, invest that time of both agri science, earth observation, and AI science parallelly, and work very closely with the stakeholders, growers, and your customers to take pick up those problems and solve one by one, right? And 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 then you have to keep the keep the hat of you know solving this at a global global scale or a plant scale. Then you have to invest in the building those. Uh, newer infrastructures, uh, 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 you know, AI architectures, which will answer for some of the problems you're looking at, right? Uh, and also, you have to be crop agnostic and locusting agnostic is one of the learning which I have got on the way, because the moment you've gone there, right, you will not able to build your knowledge. Or, you know, uh, uh, use, for example, if you're trying to address a problem on the wheat, or let's say, well, and, and, and when you're trying to scale the solution, what you do when you know there are other crops growing in that region if you don't have information on those crops, it's going to interfere with your intelligence right so so i think there are a lot to do uh when we are talking about the intelligence and a lot of time need to be spent and i think uh, many of the uh, many of the startups are doing their best to solve these challenges but these are some of the some of the observation and learning i have on the way thank you Krishna. and I, I remember a statement that you had made when we were having a conversation before this session started on on the fact that technology doesn't really differentiate or discriminate between a small world of farmer or a large world of farmer and the way technology is really converging today, ensuring that that is possible for irrespective of what, what scale farmer you are today. I think it is it is definitely possible. And I think all of us probably underestimate uh, the, uh, the power of entrepreneurship. I consider farmers as entrepreneurs and I think they will probably amaze us on how they go about adopting technology and enabling and empowering themselves to truly address the challenges that they're facing. Um, so let's see. And with that, the last couple of trends uh, we'll focus on is two important issues facing the agriculture industry. Uh, building food self-sufficiency and reducing food waste while ensuring a sustainable environment for, for example, managing social de uh, so soil degradation and its impact. Marcella, given the uh, the multiple challenges currently facing the global food ecosystem, it's clear that building food self-sufficiency and reducing food waste are critical issues for all players in the ecosystem, especially considering that today one-third of food produced globally is either lost or, or wasted at different stages from the field to packaging, warehousing, and distribution. Uh, from your perspective, how important are these two aspects in improving agriculture total factor productivity? particularly as we work to secure access to nutritious food for the billions of people on our planet. Yes, you know, so I think Krishna alluded earlier just to how important or how there's an increased importance being placed on food self-sufficiency, given some of the shocks that we're seeing affect the global system, like climate and COVID and war. And countries really want to know that they have enough food to feed their populations and that they're not relying on the fluctuations of global trade. So to that end, we've been investing in better predictive information to project food balances in a given season so that countries can start planning early, earlier and enacting more predictable policies to ensure that they'll have enough food at harvest time. But I do think that there's just increased attention you know, being paid to this issue. I think the other side of food self-sufficiency is around economic growth, which is actually a, a positive story. I think you know many middle and low-income countries um, have been seeing positive growth rates, even despite some of the economic shocks of COVID. But that also means that diets are changing dramatically in many of these countries um, to more nutritious foods, to more diverse foods like vegetables, animal source protein, oil seeds, also to more processed foods and meals outside the home, particularly as urban populations increase. And we're really expected to see even more explosive growth in food demand both in all overall quantity, but also in the kind of mix of foods that consumers uh, are demanding. And if food systems don't have the capacity to respond to these changes, imports are going to outpace local production and countries are going to run the risks of sharp increases in food costs. So I think understanding the changing trends in food com consumption and food demand is another important consideration as countries strive for food self-sufficiency, both knowing 
you know, um, how much is going to be produced in a given season and that relative to, you know, stocks and other parts of the balance, but also, you know, what is going to be produced in a given season relative to overall consumption. Um, so those are issues that I think that the community really needs to to work on and focus on, be aware of these trends. And again, with data being limited, just really wherever possible, bring data to light, uh, timely data, because these trends are changing things quickly on the ground so, so that countries can plan accordingly. Um, Sujit, you also mentioned food loss and waste, and obviously that's a, another challenge, both for becoming food self-sufficient, but also for climate, right? Um, it has huge implications for climate. I think the estimate is that six to eight percent of all human-caused greenhouse gas emissions could be reduced if we stopped wasting food. So, um, you know, that along with just the general waste that leads to reduction in food self-sufficiency, this is a really important issue to pay attention to. Um, and again, when we talk about promoting nutritious diets and being able to respond to changing demand, the, some of the more nutritious foods like vegetables and animal source proteins are also some of the most prone to prone to spoilage or just some of the most perishable. So I think this is something that we need to to be aware of and where, again, we need more um, better infrastructure and also just more technological solutions to uh, to shed light on some of these issues and, and drive solutions in addressing some of these concerns. Um, you know, with total factor productivity, which is, I think, the last part of your question, um, as land becomes more scarce and degraded, we are going to have to do more with the land that we already have. So increasing total factor productivity by getting um, more out of the land we do have in production while reducing food food waste, I think those two um, issues combined are really two critical factors for promoting food self-sufficiency. Thank you both, Marcella, Krisha. The global food ecosystem has continued to face multiple challenges since the pandemic started, including extreme weather events, supply chain disruptions, and growing food waste. These challenges exposed structural weaknesses and highlighted the need for improved food security and climate-resilient agriculture. The agriculture industry is expected to see several significant trends in 2023 as a result of these, some of which we discussed here. Uh, number one, agri-financing and sustainability investments will see a surge with private sector contributions reaching new heights. Uh, second is digitization of agriculture will accelerate to maximize visibility and transparency in global food systems, leveraging advancements in technology such as cloud computing, earth observation sciences, and AI ML models to boost food production, improve profitability, and reduce operational costs. Enhance focus on smallholder farmer empowerment with an emphasis on educating and empowering smallholder farmers at the grassroots level to improve agricultural transformation. Uh, number four, building food self-sufficiency and reducing food waste while ensuring a sustainable environment through managing soil degradation and its impact. Uh, and number five is adoption of precision agriculture to increase the efficiency and reduce environmental impact of crop production in general. Overall, technology will be a key enabler, as was very obvious in, in our conversation today in addressing these challenges, from digitization and precision agriculture to the empowerment of smallholder farmers, and organizations, governments must collaborate and focus on finding meaningful solutions to not only future-proof agriculture, but also to feed the planet sustainably. Thank you, Marcella and Krishna, for sharing your perspectives with our audience. Thanks, Thank everyone. You.